Welcome to Lighthouse Community Church Online. We are so thankful that you chose to tune in to watch online or listen via podcast. As you tune in, may we encourage you to do a couple of things that will help you be the new person God has intended you to be. As you engage with the message, choose to be attentive, take notes, and share with us anything God impresses on your heart. Let us know if there is a next step that we can help you walk into. You don't have to go it alone. And stay engaged by texting the word CONNECT to 954-923-8660. You will be kept in the know about upcoming events and important news. I think we're all uh, confronted, and we started last week. If you weren't here, we're going to uh, David's 23rd Psalm and talking about the shepherd and, and we're the sheep. And it changes your whole, once you get a revelation of this, it changes your whole perspective of who God is and who you are in his eyes. And it affects your behavior and your thinking. It's major. It really is. And I'm hoping at the end of this series, at least there's this, some revelation that comes to us of, of who it is we serve, that we're not serving, as we said last week, a genie in a bottle. God, he just pops out when we need him and we put him back in the bottle and cork it up when we don't. Or, you know, the busy dad that... Busy dad, genie, Jesus, who's just there on Sundays, but he's busy the rest of the week. Or uh, the sweet grandpa, Jesus, who is uh, nice and kind and gentle, but he's old and old-fashioned, so we don't need to listen to him. So those, we just want to get rid of that and dispel it, that we have a Yahweh shepherd, a, a holy name, the name that the ancients would, and some still do, before they'd even say the name, would wash their hands. The scribes would sanitize their pens before they even wrote it and then discard it. It's, it's the name above all names because of what that name represents and the authority behind it. So I just want to reintroduce us to our shepherd. Paul writes this to the church in Colossae to explain the character of who Jesus is. He, he's not genie. He's not grandpa and he's not busy dad he is something far more and so he wanted to make it very clear and this is what he writes he says for in him all things were created things in the heaven and on the earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together I know we can't fully grasp that, but it's the facts. And somewhere in there is something much more profound than the way that we look at God. Psalm 23 is a view of God through the lens of an old Middle Eastern shepherd, old time back. Livestock was the life of the shepherd. That's what they were consumed with 24-7. It was all about if that was your shepherd was God then you had it so I'd like us to as we kick this off I want us to stand up for a moment if we can and I'd like us to recite the 23rd Psalm please you can do that with me the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He literally...
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Like the credit Philip uh, Keller for his wonderful two works on this subject, the former shepherd himself and a, and a devouted believer got a, a real glimpse and insight into what Jesus wrote in John 10 about being the good shepherd and what, uh, what David saw through the lens of being a shepherd himself. And it was just great, great revelation. So we met our shepherd Yahweh, and Jesus, by his own admission, has an identity. And he says, I want to tell you who I am. And he identifies himself as not just anyone. Using the mindset of a shepherd, he lays out for us who he is. And I just pay attention to the adjective here. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is saying, I'm not like the shepherds that you know. I'm not the religious leaders, the hired hands that are in it for themselves, I want you to know that I am the good shepherd of Israel. That there's a difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd, and he's appealing to them to come follow the good one and not the imperfect, the flawed, or the not good one. After uh, the Gulf War, there was loads of infrastructure being done in Afghanistan and Iraq, and the U.S., along with private uh, purveyors were sending down supplies there, mainly foodstuffs, medical supplies, infrastructure supplies. And I remember one particular case, they were sending down these valuable medical supplies to build medical centers for the people and the victims of the ravaged war. It's about $1.8 million of medical supplies and eight trucks going in a convoy through Afghanistan. So they had hired a security crew, usually led by former special force contractors. And they put heavily armed uh, security crew made up mainly of locals. They had given them some brief training and some instruction. And when the Taliban forces came and seized the eight trucks, all of those hired hands immediately threw down their automatic weapons and ran for the hills. These are hired hands. They're under shepherds. They're not theirs. They don't have a stake in it. It's what Jesus is warning about is that kind of heart of somebody who, who's not really in it. And I would just say that as a side that uh, to be careful who you put as your under-shepherd. Jesus ultimately is the only shepherd. But those who, who hired pastors since COVID have left the pulpits at the highest rate ever recorded history. Huge percentages. And I'm just wondering if some of those... If just some, I don't know, I'm not judging, I don't know them. If some of those weren't just hirelings who, when things got tough and things got hard, decided it was a lot easier just to run and look for good times someplace else. And so 
Jesus says, I'm your good shepherd. A shepherd is personal. It connotes and it infers something. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that you don't want anything. It means that you lack nothing. When David is writing this, he, some of your translations say that, that you are lacking for nothing because the Lord is your shepherd. He says that my shepherd links it, his my shepherd sought me and he rescued me. The whole thing of being a shepherd is that it links a flawed sheep with a divine God. And if you think it's the same as you saying, Sarah is my boss. Well, the idea that Sarah is your boss implies that there is a relationship between you and your boss. One that infects your vacation, infects your uh, livelihood, your wages, your reviews and raises, that there is this implied relationship between the two in the same way. When you say, the Lord is my shepherd, those aren't casual words. It implies a relationship that's much more profound than we think. Like the, the shepherd, he, he is charge of me. He has come for me and sought me. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God spoke to his people. And he talked about the God who is the shepherd. And this is what he said about himself. He said, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search, you, will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds in darkness, and he's just saying, in a day when it's dark and when it's dreary for you, God will come after you looking for you. You do not go looking for him. There is no one that seeks him. No, not one. I like that. I like that. Just remember a story. I think it was Dr. Seltzer that told it in one of his books that I read many years ago, and he, he talked about a woman that he had done surgery on, and she had a tumor in her cheek. And he had, in order to get the tumor out, he had to cut a nerve. And when he cut the nerve, it caused a palsy in her face like this. And she asked him from her hospital bed, will I always be like this? And he said, I'm sorry, yes, I had to cut the nerve to get to the tumor. And the doctor Seltzer said, I was taken by the husband who sat in the room and he stood and he smiled at her. He said, with this love, he said, I could see it, that he adored her. And the husband bent over her with her palsy face. And the doctor said, what struck me was that he twisted his mouth to match her lips as he kissed her. And God came to earth, twisted in the human form so that he could love on his people probably shared this with you before, but Robbie Benson, I was listening to him on an interview on a radio years ago. Benson is, was a kid who was born frail and sickly, always in and out of hospitals, and he, he just barely had any air when he talked and, and to breathe, and, and he was nothing important, and I love the way he said it as he met Jesus, the day Jesus came for him. He said, I know that I'm an improbable choice. This voice, this body, you can't under, 
understand the choice by looking at the choosee. You only know by looking at the chooseor. He loves us, Jesus said. I chose you. You didn't choose me. That's the shepherd we serve. That's the difference between a good shepherd and an imperfect, flawed shepherd and a scoundrel shepherd. That he had noticed that he had the good shepherd and no, all not what anybody else would choose. If you were making a choice, God chose him. David wrote from the Middle Eastern perspective, and in David's day, the sheep belonged to the shepherd. There was an ownership there. There was an understanding, and the sheep followed the shepherd wherever the shepherd went. They got to know each other, and there were rebellious sheep just like there are in the church. There are those who are wandering sheep that just are wanderers, and they don't know. They just wander off away, and those that say no, when God says do this, they go, nah, Nah, right? We got some of that in us, don't we? Nah. And that's a problem as we go into this, to this, because if we want the benefits of belonging to the good shepherd and we want his protection over us, we're going to have to change nah to yeah, aren't we? Yeah. Can you say that? Yeah. Very good. Good sheep. I, I, uh, I knew a woman many years. Uh, she's about 115 pounds soaking wet. And one day she's in front of her house and her son, little boy, was riding his bike and she witnessed a guy come by in a vehicle and grab her son to abduct him. And she, like any mother, did what a mom does. She went into mama bear gear. She chased that guy. She defeated him, and she rescued her boy, little mama. And this is the picture we have of a shepherd. You don't mess with the sheep of a shepherd, not a good shepherd. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. No one touches them. No one snatches them from my hands. They're mine. So we see that in David, and he understood that because as a, as a shepherd, he, he was protective of his sheep. He had to be. It consumed his life. That's all there is to a shepherd is their sheep, unless you're a hireling. They name their sheep. They play with their sheep. They talk with their sheep. They call their sheep. They spend their time navigating where to find green pasture and water for them to feast on so they'd be full. They guard and sit at the gate of a smelly, stench-like sheep pen, not leaving them. They take count and wonder who's missing and go after whoever it is. They know and they listen for predators, and they listen in the ruffle of the woods. And what the sheep might not hear, they're listening for. And they're watching behind the rocks and behind the high grass to see if there is not somebody there who's looking to destroy their sheep. That's a good shepherd. David knew that. Keller tells a, he says, it's really weird about shepherds is that when we meet, when we meet other shepherds, we have a different priority in what we talk about. So if I were to meet you now, I might ask you, how are you doing? How's your family, kids, all that? I might ask you about your life. He said, but not shepherds. He says, when we meet each other, we look at each other and say, hey, how are your sheep doing? How so-and-so sheep, your sheep that 
the one, what's his name? The, the one that was, oh, you called him born at a dry creek between two trees. Yes, that's what they talk about. Keller makes note of those that are hired hands and bad shepherds, and he says you can really tell the difference between shepherds. You know the difference between shepherds. You can tell the condition of the sheep all depends on who they belong to. And he tells this straight. I'm just going to read it to you. He says, in memory, I can still see one of the sheep ranches in our district, which was operated by a tenant sheepman, in other words, a hired renter. He ought never to have been allowed to keep his sheep. His stock were always thin, weak, and riddled with disease or parasites. Again and again, they would come and stand at the fence, staring blankly through the woven wire at the green, lush pastures, which my flock enjoyed. Had they been able to speak, I'm sure they would have said, oh, to be set free from this awful owner. Keller goes on, he said, this is a picture which has never left my memory. It is a picture of a pathetic people the world over who have not known what it is to belong to a good shepherd who suffer under sin and Satan. So I just want to give you just a couple facts, and these are facts. Sheep do not care for themselves. That's the metaphor, and that's the intent. They are incapable. They do not have claws. They, do not, they cannot chew you to death. They are skittish, easily upset, and fearful and scatter. They will follow anyone except who they're supposed to. Facts about sheep is there. You can say that as a believer that I believe that the Lord is my shepherd, but that does not make it so. The Lord is your shepherd when he is your shepherd and you are his sheep. There is a distinction, and we're hoping that as we unpack this that we get that. The sheep carry the permanent mark of belonging to a particular shepherd. Uh, shepherds normally, like a, a cattle, might brand their livestock in the same way a shepherd will take the ear of one of its sheep and take a wooden block, and they will, they will cut into it with a knife their mark. Forever, you cannot erase the mark. As long as they bear the mark, they will always belong to that shepherd. That's what distinguishes them. In the Old Testament and the ancient Hebrews, they did similar to somebody who came in as a slave. Maybe somebody was captured in opposing side. Somebody who was sold out because they had uh, been in debt so greatly, they became the bond slave. And back in Old Testament times, in early Hebrew days, that if a if a slave was set free by their master, they were given the opportunity to become a volunteer servant in that household, called a bond servant. You'll see that in the scriptures. And it's like so-and-so, a bond servant of Christ or a slave of Christ. And they would take the ear of the person who was the bond slave, and they would go to the door of their house, and they would take their ear to the post of the house, and they would pierce it against the post. It was symbolized that they were permanently part of that household. And so it is with us that we have been bonded in to the God, the good shepherd, and we have been permanently marked and sealed under the blood of Christ through the cross and the resurrection and indwelled by his Holy Spirit, sealed forever, and nobody can take that away. You are permanently marked. And so he says, if the Lord is my shepherd, then... 
David goes on to say, if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will lack nothing. I desire nothing more than to have my shepherd. This is much more profound. It's much more. David talks here. He's, he's saying he's not referring to material or physical property. When he made the statement, I shall not want, he's saying, I shall not lack the expert care and the management of my master. I am lacking nothing because he is my master, not because I have everything that I want or everything for the moment that I need. Jesus gave no indication whatsoever that material wealth and having things was any mark of being under God's care. Often in Western world, when we encounter somebody that has a, a cost of living or a lifestyle lower than ours, our desire in the West instantly is to raise their level of living. That's what our, that's what our choice, and it's good that we give to the poor and help those that are in need, but that was not the priority of Jesus. Jesus' priority was always their soul and who they were linked to because he knew that this life was like a vapor and that soon one day the real life would begin and that was most important in him. Jesus said it this way. First of all, Paul, David, we know that David was pursued by Saul and betrayed by his son. So when he wrote this, you know that he wasn't saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want and my life will be perfect and I'll have everything that I ever need or want. David was cold. He was hot. At times, he had lost sheep. We know that he was hunted. We know that there were predators. We know that because he killed a lion and a bear to protect his sheep. A good shepherd stops at nothing to protect their sheep. Jesus said it this way. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He promised trouble. To those comforted by their riches, Jesus warned, you say, I am rich. I have things of this world. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, especially not you, God. But do you not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? He gives that stern warning for all of us that a good shepherd's priorities is your heart relationship with him. It is not the things of this earth. David and Jesus speak of something far more profound than daily provision. To the Samaritan woman, Jesus didn't promise a perfect life when she trusted him. He promised her living water that she would never thirst again. And he didn't instantly at her acceptance of his offer put a, a well next to her little hut nor did he give her the provision so that she could move out from the guy that she was living with. He probably stayed in her same circumstance and walked to that same well. No, it was something far greater. Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and follow me. Sell everything you have and follow me. If one thing you lack, he said to him, sell everything you have and give to the poor, then come follow me. He didn't say, hey, sell everything you have. Give the money to our little group and then we'll supply all of our needs in an annuity for the rest of our days on this earth. He didn't say that. He wasn't concerned because it wasn't his priority. A good shepherd had a greater priority. The secret, the secret of, of being sheep 
in Jesus' words, comes down to these words, come, follow me. That's what makes a sheep a sheep. Jesus said these words emphatically. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Thinking like a sheep for a moment. A sheep, the sheep, a good sheep knows the shepherd's voice. The good sheep knows that the shepherd has their best interest at heart. A good sheep knows that the shepherd is going to protect his rod and his staff. They comfort me. He knows where the pasture is and he knows where the still waters are. He knows that he can trust the shepherd. He doesn't have to think about it or worry about it. He doesn't get jittery or upset because he's connected to the shepherd. He's not supplying his own needs. Jesus, in John 6, confronts this crowd. And he heals them and he casts out demons and then he feeds them and they sit down on the lawn and he feeds 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children. It's an incredible miracle. And naturally his popularity is growing and so the next day he goes out, John tells us, and the crowd is there and it's probably even bigger and they're following him and what do they want? They want an encore performance of what they had yesterday. Jesus said this, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. You're coming after me because I gave you what you wanted. Then he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He said, no, the priority is that you come after me for the food that I can give you, the food that does not spoil, the source of your soul. The crowd demanded an encore performance from the day before. And so they asked him, what, what sign then you, you, will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do now, Jesus? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus, go ahead, bring it down. You do something great like Moses did. And I like Jesus' response. He, he sets it straight. He, said, he was saying that, Moses is giving manna to the children of Israel was really a shadow of something far greater. And so he explained it this way. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread. There's a bread that's here, and then there's a real bread. That's the profoundness. Take that in for a moment. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about a different kind of bread. And then he declares, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The world is never satisfied. Are you? Never. You know people, I know people with the greatest wealth, and they're never satisfied. They never have enough. It's never enough, it's always more. It's generally and psychologically they kind of figure this out that the average person always thinks that they have twice as much as what they have, then they'll be okay. Now I know some of us are at zero and below zero and so you would like a little more than twice as much. Despite our unparalleled wealth and material assets, we remain insecure, fearful, and hungry for more and covetous people. And the reason for that is by design. Mankind was designed to need God. 
Mankind's source of longing in its very soul is designed to receive its fill from God himself. And while these things are important and not invalid, we need to eat and drink and have clothing. God, Jesus promises that. He said, but how much more, how much more your father loves you, that he will give you him very self, that you would find a joy and a satisfaction complete. I know a Christian couple, they had two kids, really never had much. He had been unemployed for a bit, medical issues and bills that piled up, car that was held together by duct tape, unable to give the kids. Their kids had nothing, and other kids seemed to have all the latest, and they just weren't able to do that. He was, they were so down and out, he had to, he had to sell his blood for a while and just to make the ends meet. But it was amazing in their household that there was contentment and joy. There was never a sense of lacking for anything. They were on their knees in prayer in the house, and they talked to God, and they had a source far greater than anything this world could give or a job could give or a career could give or prestige or power could ever give you. And to contrast that with a, others, I know many families like this with big bank accounts and nice new cars and a nice big house and kids that got all the latest gadgets and all the latest designer stuff, and in that home is strife and insecurity and fear. There's two refrigerators instead of one, 30-some cubic feet, a built-in and one somewhere else in the house just in case, a walk-in pantry full of food for Lord knows how long it would last, MREs just in case down up in the attic. And yet, those are the very same people, and you got the threat of a, a hurricane or at the stores first cleaning off the shelves. I've seen it with my own eyes, taking them out and loading them up into the Mercedes, hauling to the house. This is not a, a problem just of their own. This is a natural mankind to, to be fearful and coveting. And David comes along, and his proposal is, listen, my Lord... He is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. I am in want for nothing. I don't need to fear. I'm content because I'm in his fold. A humble, trusting Christian, confidently in the care of the shepherd, loudly boasts, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want for anything. That's the heart of it. That's what he says. And Jesus, at the very end, closes with this huge party spoiler this anti-growth statement that he makes to this crowd of wants and give me more and I want more of a show. And he's going to lay it out. He's told them already, listen, I'm the bread of life. I'm what you really want. I'm what's really going to satisfy your soul. Drink from me and eat from me. And then he just gets really visual. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You have nothing. In other words, there's really no life in you until you have a relationship with him that's vibrant and daily and talking to him and close and connected. So that's, that's the root of it, isn't it? And so this is a perfect time as we take communion. That's what Jesus was doing. He took a cup. I need a communion element, please, if somebody wants to bring one up. Where is it? Oh, it's. What do you see, Annie? I don't see. (sighs) 
We'll wait. If you don't have a, an element, please raise your hand. If you don't have it. You know how you know you have a good shepherd? Jesus defined it. Because the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. <laughs> he gives it up. Keller talked about the amazing time that he was, he was in East Africa with the fellow shepherds. He said the African shepherds were similar to the Middle Eastern ones. And he's looking at these Maasai tribes and the way they care for their sheep. They weren't tenant farmers. They weren't hired hands. They, these were their sheep. They had bought them. They had raised them. They had named them. He said I'd, he'd watch them affectionately cuddling them, calling them by name. They would sit while a shepherd would just go and pick out a sheep, maybe one of his wanderers that always wandered away and sit and chat with them. When he called, they came, and other shepherds all around would call for their sheep, but they never responded to the other shepherd. They knew the voice of their shepherd. He said, I, I would watch the way they cared, and as they rubbed their hands to their fleece and feeling for bumps and wounds, he said it really touched them. So Jesus coming, he said, I'm, he's, he's the good shepherd. And he's going to give his life. And he's at that table, and he says, it's that time. Said, I'm, going to, I'm going to make a sacrifice because I want you to belong to me, Jesus is saying. I, I want you. I'm seeking my scattered sheep and where it's dark and cloudy. I'm going for you where it's dark and cloudy. And I'm seeking you. And I want you, and I'm going to seal you and buy you. I'm going to redeem you. And the way I'm going to do that is with my life. And so Jesus comes and he prepares to take your sin upon himself. He's going to take it. The wrath that you and I deserve, God is going to take on our behalf. And then he's going to send his spirit to dwell in us as we receive his forgiveness and his grace. And we make him our shepherd. And he's going to seal us and we'll always belong to him. And nobody can erase the mark. And so he says, I, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember something. Paul said, I received the instructions from my master himself who passed them on to you. The master Jesus on the night of his betrayal took the bread and having given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. There's got to be blood to cover it up, the sin. Had to be shed. He said, this cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. The Lord is my shepherd, and when he is, I lack for anything, nothing. 
He is totally, completely my master. And I belong to him. And though I may wander, and though I may nah from time to time, he will work in me and not leave me. He will be with me to the very end, and he will be with you. I would encourage you, if you took that cup, that you didn't do it irreverently or unadvisedly, that he is your shepherd, that you have committed your heart to him, that you have made him your God, that you have received his forgiveness, that you believe that he is the Son of God, not just some good man, that he died on the third day. We're going to sing to his greatness, and before we do, I'd like you to rise with me. he is your shepherd and you shall not want, then he's going to have to lead you out someplace. He's going to have to lead you where to eat and where to drink. And so this is preamble to next week. So will you say it with me? We'll do it twice. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. One more time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. Amen. How great he is. I do hope that you heard from God through this message. I never tire of reading this portion of scripture as they consistently encourage, convict, redirect, and align my heart and soul with God. Within the scriptures, we are handed practical, personal instruction that we can apply to our lives. And it is only when we have applied and obeyed the truth that we are transformed by the spirit of the living God. So make today count. Take action and do let us know how we can help you in your walk to your newness of life.